It was a hot, muggy day in July of 1505. A single young man from the University of Erfurt was trudging along the road near the village of Stotternheim. A thunderstorm erupted, and a bolt of lightning struck the ground nearby, knocking the young man to the ground. Struggling to rise, he screamed in fear, St. Anne, help me! I will become a monk! And a monk is what he became. Martin Luther never set out to fight the church. He gave up the potential for a lucrative law career, and he incurred his father's anger to leave school and join the Augustinian monastery. He was a good monk. Luther loved the church and sought to serve her well. He entered into the requirements of a monk with great zeal. Prayers began at two in the morning and were required seven times a day for forty-five minutes each time. Nights were spent sleeping on a cold stone slab. In order to please God, young Martin went beyond the requirements. He often slept with no blankets, nearly freezing to death. He fasted three days at a time without even a crumb of food. He traveled to Rome and climbed Pilate's stairs on his hands and knees, kissing each step as he climbed and saying his prayers diligently on each step. Luther said years later, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. But Luther was miserable. He lived in bondage to his pursuit of righteousness. He would go to confession daily and spend as much as six hours at a single confession because he was worried that he would forget one of his sins. One time, after six hours of listening to his confessions, his superior said, Look here, if you expect Christ to forgive you, come in with something to forgive, parasite, blasphemy, adultery, instead of these peccadilloes. But Luther was devastated that after six hours of confession, he could still leave and then think of some sin which he had not confessed. How can you achieve perfection in life when you see so many of your failures? Perfectionism leads to misery, my friends, because you never quite arrive at perfect. Luther was in bondage. He was trying to earn his way into heaven. He was trying to be good enough for God, and all it brought him was despair and guilt. He wrote, I was more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. Why do I tell you Luther's story? Because it is also Paul's story in Galatians. Both Luther and Paul demonstrate the power of the gospel of grace to radically change lives. The greatest proof of the gospel is changed lives. 
the gospel of human works condemns human hearts. It is the gospel of bondage to perfectionism. But the gospel of divine grace changes human hearts. The gospel of grace is the gospel of freedom. It liberates us from the bondage of perfectionism. Maybe you live in the prison of your perfectionism. You are miserable because you can never quite measure up. You fail. You know it. But you try and try again to be perfect. To do right. Paul uses his testimony of God's grace changing his life to prove that grace is the only answer for sin and failure in our lives. You will never be perfect, my friends, but God's grace can make you perfect in Christ. Paul uses five arguments to prove the power of grace to liberate us from the bondage of perfectionism. Argument number one, the argument from Revelation proves divine grace. Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Why should we believe in Paul's gospel and not another? Why is it that his gospel is so special and all other gospels are accursed? It's because the gospel which Paul preached came from God, not man. The gospel of human works is humanity's attempt to reach God with human worthiness. We want to prove our worth to God, but we always fail in the end. The gospel that saves is the gospel which comes from God and radically changes, transforms you and me. Paul denies three possible sources for his gospel in these two verses. First, the gospel of divine grace, he says, is not according to man. The Phillips version of the Bible translates it according to no human invention. The NIV says that the gospel was not something man made up. The gospel of human works flatters human egos into thinking that we can earn our way to heaven. We can be good enough for God. But the gospel of divine grace flattens human egos by teaching us that we can do nothing to earn God's approval. Second, the gospel of divine grace is not received from man. The rabbinic system within which Paul had been raised memorized all the rabbinic traditions to gain God's approval. As a young man, Paul spent many hours laboriously memorizing the rules of the Jews so he could be perfect. Not so, my friends, with the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace did not come through knowing human traditions and obeying human rules. Third, the gospel of divine grace does not come from theological instruction. Paul had spent years in theological training. 
But in one blinding flash of Christ's revelation on the Damascus Road, it was all changed. Grace comes from the transforming revelation of God, not the intellectual philosophies of humanity. Now, I'm not saying that religious instruction is wrong or that theological education is unimportant, and neither is Paul. However, the source of our knowledge is what is vital to our spiritual lives. Paul tells us that he received the gospel by divine revelation. Now, of course, our situations are different. We don't experience God revealing his grace to us in a blinding flash of divine revelation like Paul. We have that revelation in Scripture, codified in Scripture. God inscripturated his truth for us. God breathed liberating grace into the words of the Bible. These are God's words to us, not Paul's words that he made up by himself. The gospel is so simple that anyone of normal intelligence can grasp it without the help of a theologian. In fact, much to my dismay, we theologians may get it in the way of grace with our teachings. Our religious instruction can make the simple gospel of divine grace into a maze of precepts and principles. My friends, never let anyone take the gospel away from you by education. We do not need a PhD to trust Christ or to preach Christ. So, the argument from Revelation proves divine grace. And second, the argument from psychology proves divine grace in verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, Paul writes, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul was so zealous for his religion that he outstripped all his peers. He was single-minded in his devotion to his faith, his religion. He was so committed to his religion that he persecuted the hated Christians. The word literally means to hunt. Paul was so zealous for his religion that he hunted Christians down like animals. He was so zealous for his religious system that he tried to destroy Christianity. The word was used of soldiers ravaging a city. He was out for blood. Paul was in bondage to his own self-righteousness, just like Martin Luther many years later. Luther tried to be perfect just like Paul, and he was miserable. Luther wrote about his self-righteousness in his commentary on Galatians. He wrote these words, My righteousness was nothing but a filthy puddle and the very kingdom of the devil. For Satan loveth such saints, and accounted them for his dear darlings, who destroy their own bodies and souls, and deprive themselves of all the blessings of God's gifts, 
To conclude, such saints are the bond slaves of Satan, although they seem to excel all others in good works, in holiness, and in strictness of life. Are you the dear darlings of Satan? Satan loves religious people who are filled with their own goodness and their own holiness, which they achieve through strict rules and regulations for life. But the gospel of human works will only bring guilt, bondage, and misery, as Paul and Luther both discovered. Paul's point is that he was so anti-Christian in his thinking, in his zeal, that it was psychologically impossible for him to receive this message from other humans prior to his conversion. He would never have listened to anyone. So God had to supernaturally break through to him with the message of grace. What about you? Are you so hardened by your own religious self-righteousness that you would never be persuaded by any preacher that you are a sinner? Do you take such pride in your accomplishments your good works, that you think you don't need the grace and forgiveness of God like other people? My friends, psychology cannot save you. Psychology does a wonderful job of helping people understand their problems and cope with them, but psychologists readily admit that they cannot change the natures of people. I want to tell you something very important today. God can change human nature. The gospel of God's grace changes human hearts. And if I did not believe that assertion, I would walk out the door of the church and never come back. God's grace is the only hope for human hearts, my friends. Look at verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. But God. God's buts are life transforming, my friends. God's buts are the difference between life and death, bondage and liberty. The contrast in subjects between verse 14 and verse 15 is vital to our understanding of human transformation. The subject in verse 14 is Paul. The subject in verse 15 is God. Therein lies the difference between psychology and soteriology, between human philosophy and God's salvation. The gospel of human works is focused on I and me and what I can do and be. The gospel of divine grace is focused on God and Christ and what he can do for me. That is the difference between all religions and Christianity. Religion is about what we do for God. Christianity is about what God does for us. It's the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between liberty and bondage. Are you trusting in yourself or in God? 
that is the essential question of salvation. The third argument. The argument from geography proves divine grace. The argument from geography proves divine grace. Galatians 1, verses 15 to 17. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. It was God who set Paul apart. It was God who called him by his grace. It was God who was pleased to reveal Christ in him. It was all of God and none of Paul. That is what salvation is all about, my friends. It is all about God and none of us. Paul goes on to say that it was geographically unthinkable that men gave Paul his message because he went immediately into Arabia after his conversion at Damascus. And Paul lived in Arabia for three years until he returned to Damascus. The backstory for Paul's testimony in Galatians 1 is found in Acts 9, verses 19 to 25. Luke says nothing about Paul's trip to Arabia but it must have occurred in the middle of verses 19 and 20 in Acts chapter 9. The remainder of Luke's account is the story of Paul's return trip to Damascus nearly three years after his conversion. Traditionally, Christians have believed that Paul went into southern Arabia near Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai following in the footsteps of Elijah. The region is isolated, desolate, and bleak, the perfect place to commune with God, meditate in silence, and learn theology in the school of Christ before going out to preach the Gospels to the Gentiles. Well, where is Arabia, and what was Paul doing in Arabia for three years? Paul would have understood Arabia to be the Nabataean kingdom ruled by King Aretas IV. The Nabataean kingdom was easily accessible from Damascus and extended southward to Petra and the Red Sea. Paul did not go to Arabia for private meditation and reflection, as some have popularized. He went to preach the gospel to the Arabians. Paul immediately began doing what God had called him to do. I believe that Paul's visit to Arabia was missional for two reasons. First, Paul slips in a little nugget of information about why he was forced to escape from Damascus in a basket lowered from a window in the wall in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32. The ethnarch of Damascus was under the control of of King Aretas, who apparently sought the arrest of Paul after he had returned to Damascus from Arabia. Why would Aretas, the Nabataean king, be upset with Paul enough to arrest him if he'd been in solitude for three years? 
No. Paul was stirring up trouble in Arabia by his preaching, and Aretas did not like that. Second, the whole point of Paul's argument in Galatians 1, 16-18 is that he was discharging his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles before he ever went up to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. His claim of apostolic independence would lose its force if he were in solitude for three years before becoming credentialed by the apostles in Jerusalem. There was a long history of ethnic animosity between the Nabataeans and the Jews. The Aretas family had engaged in numerous political fights with Jewish rulers over who owns sections of the land in their region. Arabs and Jews were fighting over land even in Paul's day. Paul the Jewish nationalist zealot, chose to carry out his first mission to Arabs with whom he and other Jews harbored ethnic hatred. He went to a people who hated him and whom he had grown up hating. Aretas, ruling from Petra, would have resented a Jew coming into his kingdom trying to convert his people. No wonder he wanted Paul arrested. Christ had transformed Paul so radically that he put aside all his ethnic differences with the Arabs and he sought to win them for Christ. What an incredible picture of the power of God's grace to change lives. The gospel changes people so radically that all their racial, ethnic, cultural, and social prejudices are turned upside down. Christians can love those they once hated because Christ has completely changed our values and our priorities in life. I like Paul. He does not need to wait for special instructions or three years of prayer and meditation before he can evangelize. And my friends, neither do we. Neither do you. If you know Jesus and you have been changed by his grace, you can preach his gospel, his good news. Changed lives are the greatest testimonies to the powers of God, God's grace. If your life has been changed, then you can tell others how God changed you. You do not need to wait for some special credential. You are qualified to preach the gospel to your friends, your neighbors and co-workers, your family members. They are going to listen to you a whole lot quicker than they will listen to some preacher. Fourth, the argument from logic proves divine grace. The argument from logic. Galatians 1, verses 18 to 20. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. The gospel of grace comes from God, not humans, and even logic proves this point. 
It was logically improbable that Paul received his message from anyone else because he did not meet the apostles until three years after his conversion, and then he only met Peter and James. The background for this experience is Acts 9, verses 26 to 29. These verses take place three years after Paul's conversion. He went up to visit Peter. The verb translated visit or get acquainted is a Greek word from which we get our English word history. The idea is that of exchanging stories, personal histories. Paul would have told his story to Peter, and then Peter explained his story to Paul. Here are two great apostles sharing their stories with each other. They were getting to know each other. The apostle to the Gentiles and the apostle to the Jews, as they will be known according to Galatians 2.9, agreed on the essentials of the gospel. This is a logically important element in Paul's defense of the gospel of grace. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Even our logic should tell us that whenever humans make up a religion, it will focus on what humans can do. Humanism is the religion of humans. Paul and Peter agreed that the gospel of grace to both Jew and Gentile, focuses on God and God's abilities to transform us and trans transcends human religious traditions. The fifth argument, the argument from history proves divine grace. Verses 21 to 24. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. It was historically untenable that Paul could have received his message from other humans, as his critics argued, because he went immediately to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. These regions were far from the center of Christianity in Jerusalem. Paul goes back home to Tarsus in the province of Cilicia, Acts 9.30. It was also where Barnabas would later find Paul and invite him to Antioch in the province of Syria, Acts 11.25. I find two words very striking in Galatians 1, 21-24. The first word is the word unknown in verse 21. Paul was unknown except by an occasional general report back to the church in Jerusalem. That's astounding when you think that next to Jesus Christ, Paul was probably the most influential figure in Christianity in the first century. We know very little about the decade Paul spent in Syria and Cilicia. It was at least 10 years, and perhaps as many as 14 years that Paul served the Lord in relative obscurity. It's quite likely 
that it was during this period of time, this 10 to 14 year period in his life, that Paul experienced some of the beatings, stonings, hunger, thirst, sleepless nights, and dangers that he explains later in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. We know that he also had his visionary experience and thorn in the flesh during this period of time, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Unknown and unwanted, suffering persecution and struggling with his thorn in the flesh, Paul faithfully served the Lord far, far from the centers of influence in the first century church. These were hard times, discouraging and disheartening, during which Paul learned the lesson that God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient for his life, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul could have been perhaps an instant celebrity if he had stayed in Jerusalem. He was well known in Jerusalem and certainly stirred up trouble with his notoriety. He could have been a media magnet for Christianity. He could have led the biggest and best churches, but he didn't. He was unknown for 10 to 14 years in obscurity. Yet his message eventually shook the world. From Antioch, Paul would go on three major missionary trips. Paul would become the leading figure of the early church. Martin Luther was the pastor of the little parish of Wittenberg, not exactly the center of the Holy Roman Empire. Yet the message of Luther shook the world. My point is simple. The gospel of divine grace changes human hearts. God does not need us to occupy the pulpits of Washington or New York or Los Angeles to change lives. God does not need preachers to be on national television to change lives. God does not need the cathedrals of Rome or Paris to shake the world with the gospel of his grace. God can shake the world from Antioch. God can shake the world from Wittenberg. God can shake the world from Gorham, Maine, where I served for many years. We must remember that God's grace changes human hearts. God can use the unknown and the obscure to transform the world. The second word that I find striking in these verses is the word glorifying, glorifying. People were glorifying God, not Paul. We can be content in obscurity, we can be content in being unknown when God is being glorified. The reason why God delights to use the morons of this world to confound the wise of the world is that he gets the glory, not us. It is the message of God's grace that saves humans, not man's abilities to persuade others, Paul tells us in Corinthians. God saves and God alone, and that is the key to change lives, whether in Gorham, Maine, or London, England, or Paris, France, or Jerusalem. It was Martin Luther who once said, God creates out of nothing, 
Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Faith plus nothing is the path to salvation. Luther came to Christ while a theologian preparing to lecture on the book of Romans. He was pondering the statement in Romans that the just shall live by faith when it dawned on him that he could never earn God's approval. God had already provided the righteousness he needed for salvation in Christ. Righteousness comes solely by faith. The righteous, the just, shall live by faith. Salvation comes through grace alone, by faith alone. We can be approved by God no other way. When we trust God for his righteousness, rather than trying to earn it ourselves, then, and only then, will we be changed by his grace. The gospel of divine grace changes our human hearts. Do you know that grace at work in your life? Or are you still trying to earn your way to God? Are you trusting God's grace? Or are you consumed by perfectionism and by your own self-righteousness, your own works? If you would put your faith in Christ today, you would be freed from the burden of winning God's approval, of trying to be good enough for God. My friends, God can change your life just as surely as he changed the lives of Paul and Luther. All you must do is accept his grace by faith. Will you do it today?